Today I'm going to talk about inclusion, welcome, and beloved community. And as is frequently the fashion of guest preachers, I'm going to do all three <laughs> in one sermon. Spork and their friends, I think, is a useful metaphor when we are speaking of beloved community, but I think that this subject this morning calls for something more than a story-based metaphor. It is part of my spiritual practice as an educator to fail in public, to learn without hiding, to practice giving people the opportunity to learn from my mistakes, although I suspect that happens less often than I from my parents, but I at least model that we are all always learning by trying and failing and trying and failing, and like a toddler falling down again and again, and then finally walking, moving their body across a room. This is how we learn. Before I invite you to consider your own lives as one does in a sermon, I will start with a story about mine. When I was a young person, I was told to mind my P's and Q's when I went out around, you know, people. This was challenging for me for two basic reasons. The first was that I was socialized with cows. I grew up on a small self-sustenance farm, and I knew a lot about cows and chickens and farm implements that didn't run out of, that didn't require gasoline because the oil was going to run out. We knew then. We just, you know, we were off a little, but still, we were ready for that. Um, but, but because we were ready for the apocalypse in my family, I didn't learn a lot about human social behavior. The other reason that I was constantly reminded to mind my P's and Q's was because there's never been a great deal of distance between a thought in my head and the words flying out of my mouth. In fact, I frequently find out what I think because the words are floating out there in front of me. This was unfortunate. When I went to seminary, I still hadn't learned much about basic social graces like, if you don't know what's going on, close your mouth, listen, and learn. However, of course, by the time I had arrived at seminary, having been oh so successful in my college, I knew I had already learned so much, in all caps, with exclamation points. This was also unfortunate. It was there that I first experienced someone who told me they were allergic to gluten. I asked out loud, and more than once during these early 1990s, gluten? Who's allergic to gluten? Humans have been eating wheat for thousands of years. It's a staple, for goodness sakes. People aren't allergic to staples. Neither my words nor my disdain face were particularly subtle. Then, someone else kept asking us not to wear perfume because she was allergic to scents. I rebelled, my disdain face turning into a contempt face, unfortunately. There's a lot of unfortunately in my life, I'm just... I rebelled thinking she was maybe just having some kind of panic response to the idea of a smell. How could you be allergic to scents? Smell is like just smelling. No one is allergic to smelling. It's what your nose does. 
I thought and said aloud. I didn't have the knowledge then to understand that the smell of something is simply a chemical compound ingested through the nose. If someone is sensitive to a chemical, it can get in through the nose as easily as if one ate it. I didn't then have that knowledge. There wasn't the internet, so I didn't even have the excuse of the Google. I didn't have enough knowledge to understand and Oh my goodness, and I couldn't simply believe her. I had to substitute my personal experience of a lack of sensitivity to perfume for her stated experience. Even as I was a queer person, an anti-racist white person, a rural farm kid who went and got educated far beyond expectations, even as I was that person intentionally working on learning about and practicing justice and equity, I blew it a lot. I thought that my personal experience and my highly reputable academic ac education were enough for me to accurately extrapolate from my own experiences of inclusion, marginalization, and oppression to be able to understand others through the lens of my own perception. This is, of course, a central sin of our colonialist white supremacist cultural inheritance in this U.S. of A that we can know, declare, and decide about others and their needs based upon our own. Subsequently, and possibly as proof of a deity who exists solely to provide me with awesome and awkward learning opportunities, I have become a person with celiac disease who cannot have even microscopic amounts of gluten. Oh, but there's more. I am also now a person who becomes ill from petroleum-based products and scents and, well, I'm pretty much allergic to nature. Before I speak broadly about inclusion and justice and equity, I need to acknowledge unmistakably that over the course of my life, I, like all of us, have failed more than I have succeeded. And I hope to goodness that now I succeed more than I fail. And I want to suggest that it is my responsibility to examine my perceptions and actions to change myself in order to succeed more than I fail. This is our collective responsibility. And I think that it, this is one of the paradoxes of being beloved community. And, and I like to think that beloved community can be cast very simply as what Hafez said, as everyone who you come across, say to them, love me. Admit something. Because we don't just say, we do, we create, we build, we welcome, we change. We are called to create that which is incredibly challenging, to claim our right to live in beloved community, to hold one another accountable to beloved community, and to return again and again after our shortfalls. I don't know you all, I don't know where you all come from, but I come from about 300 years of English and Scottish New Englanders. 
hardscrabble original colonizers, settlers, and immigrants that wandered down from New Brunswick via, or from Scotland via New Brunswick. At its core, my family's like Puritans are us. I come from people with names like Harbot Grimscottle. I mean, heck, I don't even have to go far, that far back. My grandmothers were Winona and Gladys. And I must say that regardless of your personal cultural heritage, if you are deeply UU, it is in our institutional genes. This believing that we can know about others' experience. And this is unfortunate. Now, Puritans were not big on feelings words for feelings, or noticing their own feelings or other people's feelings. When I was a kid, I knew three feeling words. Mad, sad, and wait, what was the other one again? Oh yeah, mad. <laughs> I come from generations of people who, when someone dies, says, well, that's too bad, got to get on with it, get the cows. I come from people for whom grieving is private and internal and set aside as quickly as possible, and empathy, when offered, is shaken off and dismissed. Sorry your dad died. Thanks. You know, it's probably for the best. He was really sick. Hey, I like that hat. My own heritage, and I suggest the heritage of this tradition, which we have here, gosh, it's here. There's boxes. <laughs> You're, I mean, you don't have little swinging doors anymore, but you're still, you've got the boxes. Our tradition, which we have inherited, downplays people's experiences of being a person, of having feelings, while we upplay the experience of being able to know something, also in capital letters. I'm not saying anything new here, right? No. This is not news to you, I hope, but it is important, and I think we have to start there in order to talk about inclusion, justice, and equity. It can be said that you use love to talk and argue and search for truth and meaning. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, look what I do for a living. <laughs> Talking about our ideas and searching for truth and debating are not activities that build trust, though. And when we're speaking of inclusion and welcome, we're talking about being people who are trustworthy, which is not the same as being people who are right. Hafez did not write a poem that said, everyone you see, argue with them. Talking and debating and searching are valid and important parts of our lives, but for different reasons than creating welcome or inclusion or justice. Searching and talking about our ideas and debating truth might build knowledge, might increase some awareness. People who do this together might develop the kind of connection that comes from striving together for common purpose, purpose and belief and commitment. And for those of us who have an intellectual bent, it seems that knowing and doing and arguing and striving is exactly the right and most natural thing to do. But it doesn't create welcome. Actually preparing a welcome 
creates welcome. The search for meaning is often different than the search for truth. Different mechanisms are in play. When we're searching for meaning, we must create opportunities to bear witness to one another, to listen deeply to people about their lives and what they hold dear. I want to go back to my first metaphor in the story. Spork had to make Spork's own way to the table. Did you notice that? Our UU faith calls us to say, suggest that it should not be that way. We should be making a way. We should be creating all of the opportunities, rearranging all of the drawers ahead of time before people are even in a space to say, oh, this is who you are, and this is what you need. Here among us, you are. You are us. The way I talk about this is this phrase that I use, this preemptive radical inclusion. And people often think that they know what it means, but you don't. <laughs> what I mean is that when people are empowered within organization, whether it's formally empowered, like they're the minister, or informally empowered, like, like I am sure that there's someone who you would never paint a wall without making sure that she thought the color was okay. Every congregation has these. When we are somehow empowered by our groups, it is our responsibility to preemptively articulate that all of us is all of us. Does that mean I should be done now? <laughs> it means, very briefly, that we think of inclusion not as a goal, but as a gateway to justice and equity. We don't identify inclusion as the thing which, when we have accomplished it, we will be done. In preemptive radical inclusion, we do not make assumptions based on what we know and what we ourselves individually have experienced and then extrapolate from our experience to others what it is that they need in order to be part of beloved community. We invite people, rather, to tell their own truths, to share their experiences, and we bear witness. In the process of bearing witness, we are all changed. It means that every time we say the word we, I've said it a lot, haven't I? Who, who are you thinking in your head? Just pause for a moment. You don't have to tell me. When we say we, we usually have some category that exists of who is we. It frequently is people who we know, people who are like us, people who are already in the room. If this is who we say we are, we have failed in our imagination. I want to suggest that we is like spork in all those empty drawers. The who we are gets to be encompassing. And those of us who have responsibility to hold the space for who we are, it's our responsibility to bear witness and to listen and to attend and to say to people, did you get what you need? How can I help you? Would you like to be in charge? 
Because here's the end result, the end goal of preemptive radical inclusion, and that is that those of us who are currently in charge, we will know we have succeeded when we are no longer in charge. When who we are has changed so much that we have to step back and say, wow, look at them go. That's how we will know. Now, were this part of how I perceived the world or beloved community or who I'm supposed to be as a, you know, not yucky grown-up when I was in seminary, my experience then would have been incredibly different. If someone had said to me they were allergic to something, I would have known to separate my cognitive assessment of the subject based on only what I already knew. I would have separated my personal experience and made space for the likelihood that I did not, in fact, know everything. <laughs> There's a V8 going on there. I may have just dated myself. What I needed to do was to bear witness to a person who said, I can't eat at your potluck because I don't know what's in the food, and said, let's figure out together how we can make the potlucks accessible for everyone. How we can all learn to be mindful of the ingredients and the sub-ingredients in the ingredients underneath that. Chicken broth is not an ingredient, by the way. Chicken broth has like five or 20 ingredients. So this is really just an introduction to one way of thinking about something that is both simple and incredibly complicated to implement. Sounds nifty, doesn't it? Everybody feel all like, I can do this? And some of you are feeling like, wait, maybe not. But for the most part, it feels awesome. Human brains categorize, right? We try to make plans, we try to make to-do lists, we try to control. So every time something gets big and possible, we start to try to categorize and make lists about how on earth are we ever going to get there. Sometimes our categories are helpful, sometimes our categories are harmful, because none of us are ever just one thing. When we have beloved community, we frequently organize our beloved community in categories. In fact, I am frequently invited to speak based on some of the categories that I inhabit. Lately, people have wanted me to come and speak about gender and trans identity. Sometimes people have invited me to come and either preach or do work with a congregation or organization around supporting survivors of childhood abuse and setting up structures that would minimize the potential for harm within a congregation. Sometimes people want me to come and talk about multi-generational faith formation. Sometimes people want me to talk about being neurologically atypical, what an ex used to call a neurological turducken. Um, there are, in fact, so many neurologically atypical things about me that she was just like, yeah, that's, just, that's like a duck and a chicken and a turkey for a really bad holiday. But regardless of what category people perceive me in, when I walk into a space, I am all of those things. I don't just enter a space as a genderqueer person. I'm a neurologically atypical, sometimes able-bodied, complicated, class background, white mountain farm folk. There's no like club for that. What there is for that is beloved community. That's what there is. 
This is the one place to which we can bring our whole selves and at which we can look at one another and expect to be received and loved and supported. Like Spork and their friends, all of us are Spork and their friends. We are all responsible for rearranging or sometimes completely rebuilding the utensil drawers. And I want to suggest that that is, in fact, one of the greatest gifts of Unitarian Universalism. Our origins notwithstanding, when we can get out of our own way, we can create space that is previously unimaginable. I hope some of you will join me later for the workshop when I'm going to invite people to bear witness to one another in really appropriately and not overly sharing ways. I, just, I mean, there will be some feelings, but not like feelings. Because when we tell stories, people have the opportunity to do what Nell Morton called hearing us into speech. In the particular ableist language aside, the idea that we find more words to articulate our realities as people bear witness to us, that idea is a beloved one. When we bear witness to others, when we don't substitute our judgment for them, when we don't interrupt them to tell them, oh, that happened to me one time, or I don't think that's how that really works, or your doctor shouldn't have said that. When we don't interrupt and we just bear witness to people articulating their experience, then they find that we are trustworthy. And when we are trustworthy, we have created a welcome. I want to invite everyone to imagine for just a minute what it is to build and what you can do to build a new way, to build a welcome. One thing that you might do differently. One person that you might listen to that you have not before. And make yourself just a manageable-sized goal. Perhaps reconstructing the building is not the goal. Perhaps the goal is there's this person that I'm having a hard time with and I really should probably just have a coffee with them. Because we're going forward in our world. Heaven knows where we're going. I hope that it is away from the roots that are all about the thinking and are forward towards feeling and loving and connecting. We're building a way, and we're going. All of us. Every single one. <laughs>